Amen. Please remain standing for our scripture reading uh, this evening from Genesis 35. Hear the word of the Lord. God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. And Jacob hid them underneath the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Father, in every age you have spoken through the voices of prophets and pastors and teachers. Purify the lives and the lips of those who speak here. That the gospel of Christ may be boldly and faithfully proclaimed for the building up of your church and the extension of your holy kingdom. Amen. Amen. You know, just a quick announcement as we come to God's word this evening. Uh, I know we have many visitors this evening. Just, you know, we love children here. Children make noises, and that is okay. Uh, I think we all know that. So we uh, love your children to be here making noise. That's okay. If you want to walk around with them, there's space out there uh, if you need to. But we love your children being with us in service. I think it's a good sign to hear the voice of children as we gather to worship. Uh, but I want to begin telling you a story about when I was a child. You know, my parents are here. They'll probably remember, remember this story. Uh, they're getting a little nervous, I can tell. But uh, even when I was a young child, I was always interested in gardening and, and landscaping. And once, and I think I was probably 11 or 12 or so, I decided to do some landscaping at my house after school one day when no one else was home. And, you know, we had this area where there was some lava rocks and there were some plants and there was this rhubarb plant. And I decided I wanted that to be grass. So I did what any sensible 11, 12-year-old boy would do is I took out the shovel, I grabbed a wheelbarrow, and I started taking out the rocks. I started pulling back the landscaping tarp, and I ripped out that rhubarb plant. <laughs> and one of the reasons I probably took it out was, you know, as a 12-year-old boy, I didn't really appreciate rhubarb pie. But for any of you that know anything about rhubarb plants, you know it takes years for them to get to the place where they can actually produce rhubarb pie. And uh, much to my parents' uh, surprise, when they came home, their front yard was redecorated. So uh, for whatever reason, I had this you know, intense desire to try to make this space beautiful, or at least what I considered was beautiful at the time. And I think we actually all have this instinct, don't we? Uh, we have an instinct uh, to make spaces beautiful, to make them ordered, to take chaos and, and order it. Uh, whether you lived in a, in a closet or you lived in a mansion, or even if you live on the streets, you have your own way of trying to make the space that you inhabit beautiful to whatever you think is beautiful. And why do we do this? I think it's because we're all made in the image of God. We have the Imago Dei, because this is what God does. You know, in creation, in Genesis 2, after God created all things, he says he planted a garden. God plants gardens. 
In creation, he planted a garden. He gave this mandate to Adam and Eve to, to keep this garden, to actually grow it, to expand it. To, his, his hope was that it would cover the entire planet, the entire earth, full of the garden kingdom of God. To expand the garden so that it would, the entire world would be filled with his presence, his own garden city. But we actually know the end of that story, don't we? That Adam and Eve failed in this, right? And they were put out of the garden into the wilderness, but even though they've failed in their mission, it's actually still God's mission to, as one theologian, Peter Lightheart, puts it, to gardenify the world, to expand his presence on earth as it is in heaven, as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. And we begin to see what this looks like for us as people that are living in the wilderness uh, in Genesis 35, as Jacob is building an altar at this place, Bethel. A place that's designed to be a place of worship, turning the land into places of worship, a place set aside to the, for the people to commune with God, filled with his presence. And in this, he is taking the wilderness, this wilderness land, this place, Bethel, and turning it back into a garden space. It's a new garden. And that's what we find is places of worship like this, like the many churches scattered throughout the valley are actually garden spaces because they're filled with God's presence as we gather together to worship him. And so as we build places to worship, as we inhabit these kind of places, they're actually transformed. And in this, we're actually joining the work of, of Jacob, of our forefathers that have come before us. So the question I have for us this evening of this text is this, well, how does this happen? How is it that these kind of ordinary places with brick and mortar and such actually get turned into these garden spaces? And for those of you worried, it's a, I, only got a, I only got like 10 pages, so it should be pretty quick. Um, but there's, there's two, two, two answers to that question that I want to give you uh, this evening to think about. The first is this, that these spaces are turned back into guarded spaces as they are places of remembrance. As they are places of remembrance. Look with me back here at verse 1. It says, God said to Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. It's a call for, for, uh, for Jacob to remember. This place becomes, becomes a call to remember. And that's what altars were in part, were places to remember the acts of God, remembering where he's come into our lives. We probably all have those little things, those little keepsakes that we have when we look at, we remember that God did something in our lives. Uh, that's why we have crosses, right, to remember what God has done for us in Christ and the cross. And one of the most important things we do as we gather is as we worship, as we make disciples, is it's an act of remembering. And what are we remembering? Well, we're remembering God's words, remembering his actions. And here what he's remembering is how God's, God's presence for Jacob in a time where he was in trouble specifically, he's actually remembering how God met him when he was on the run. In Genesis 28, I'm just going to read this short couple verses, Genesis 28, verse 13 to 15, this is what he's recalling. And this is God saying, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham and father of the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. 
This is what he's remembering. He's remembering who God is. How God said he promised that he's going to give him a land, a place, and to use him and his offspring to actually bless and scatter across the entire world. And so these kind of places of remembrance become places to remember who God is and what he has called us to. This place serves as the same for us in this, own, in this building, to remember who our God is, right? The same God that we find here in Genesis and what he has called us to, to be a blessing to the world, to scatter from here to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west. And why is this so important? Why is remembering so key for us? Because when we forget who God is and when we forget what he has done, we end up losing our relationship with God. I don't know if you've ever been around someone who's had memory loss or if you've seen this. Well, at first, it's always the small things that begin to go, isn't it? They begin to tell you the same story over and over again. You're like, okay, yeah, you can tell me that same story again. I know how it ends, but okay, go ahead and do it. But eventually, it goes into bigger things, and you end up, you know, they forget who you even are. And, you know, it's really difficult to have a relationship with someone when the other person forgets who you are. Uh, think if you were with a spouse for 50 years and then that spouse forgets you are, that's got to be incredibly challenging. And this is actually us with God. More so, it's us with God when we don't remember him, when we don't remember who he does. And places, physical places like this building, help us remember. Remember that our God is a God who is with us. Wherever I have gone, the text says, he's with us. And Bethel, this place is a monument to this truth. So that whenever they came to this space, they remember that God is with them. Spaces are reminders of his presence, physical beacons, mini gardens that point to the great gardener. So how do these kind of places help continue God's mission to bless the world? They transform normal city plots like this one into places of remembrance. I mean, you see it all over this building, right? The, the, the people that built this built it to be a place to remember the good news of the gospel. You see it above you. You see a cross. You see a Bible. You see a lantern. Uh, the lamp unto our, our feet. This place was built for it. Uh, even though the people who have most recently been in this building actually did not worship God, the God of Scripture, they actually couldn't get away from the remembering that was in this building, that was in the walls, because this place was built to remember. You know, and if, you know one of the articles I actually read about this particular church before it, it sold it to us was that uh, one of the leaders actually said that the images in this building actually haunted them. They were haunted by them because a proper place of remembrance isn't just some old museum. It isn't dead, but it's actually alive. It's a remembrance of ongoing dialogue between God and his people. And this is actually what we find in the second way that these places become gardens is, become, is when they become places of worship. Places of worship. It's not just a place of remembrance, but dedicated spaces are also places of worship. I think that's what we see here in verses 2 through 3. So Jacob said to the household and to all who were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us go to the house up to Bethel so that I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave to Jacob all the foreign gods that they had and the rings that were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree that was near Shechem. This place... This place of worship is a place for them to put away their foreign gods. And when we worship God, what we're doing is we're actually putting away false idols. 
When we declare on our lips that praise God from whom all blessings flow, we're also declaring down with the gods from whom no blessings flow. Our worship is actually a declaration of our allegiance. This place is that for us, a physical place to bury the foreign gods that strive for our attention throughout the week. As we take them out, we hand them to Christ and we bow at his feet. And after we find them putting away their idols here, they're doing that, right? They, they actually have a physical place where they bury these foreign gods. Uh, they put away their false idols and they devote themselves to the singular worship of Yahweh. And this all happened at a real place, a physical place. And God has always been about places, right? From Genesis to Abraham to David to Revelation, physical spaces, Places have been a part of God's mission to restore all of creation. The story begins in a, in a garden and ends in a garden city. This is a cosmic redemption story. And the call is that we would continue to do this, to build places of worship, that we remember until the whole earth is filled with them. And of course, one of the challenges in this, on this side of eternity, is to keep our idols at bay. Right, to not go back to them like a dog to its vomit, but to remain faithful. Because this place, uh, you know, Israel and the church uh, are only beacons of light and blessings when they actually remain faithful to God, when they retain their fidelity to Him. You know, throughout history, we've actually seen the ebb and flow of this, right? Of the faithfulness of Israel and the church. Sometimes they're faithful, sometimes they're not. You know, in Israel, in 1 Kings 12, when the kingdom first splits between the north in the south, the northern leader, Jeroboam, turns the place of Bethel here that was once a place to worship, and he actually turns it into a place of idolatry. It's like he digs up the foreign gods and puts them back on display. And for this and many other reasons, the northern kingdom actually gets taken into exile. And so in this, in this passage, there's both this promise and a challenge. It's a challenge for us to remain faithful, to make God and his word known. That's what makes this place beautiful. To raise and train children up in the discipline of the Lord. To be formed by worship and sacrament and prayer. These are the things that makes this space beautiful, actually. These are the things that turn an old brick building into a garden city. And the promise in this is that God is with us. That he is present with us when we gather, reminding us of his grace and his mercy that endures forever, feeding us through his word and at his table and stirring our hearts to worship him. Right? The, the church is the church when she is gathered in worship. And so wherever we gather, we do so transforming those spaces into heavenly spaces. Because wherever we gather, God is actually with us. He's with us now, and it's Hebrews 12 kind of things happening where this, this place takes on a heavenly identity, a festal gathering surrounded by angels and saints of old and, and saints in the future. Past, present time is all happening at once in this space. And he's leading us to Christ himself. Christ himself leading us to worship our great God. And that is his promise, that he is actually here with us when we gather in his name. So as we gather, as we train our children, may we never forget these truths. May we never gather in the name of another. May this place always be a place of remembrance, a place to put aside our idolatry, not to praise in it, a place to testify in the work of the Lord. And may the Lord use us in this building to bring the transforming power of the gospel to bear in our neighborhood and in our city 
and to the ends of the world. Amen. Pray with me. Merciful, gracious Father, we give you thanks that your word is a light to our feet. I pray that you would help us to remain faithful, to testify to your goodness no matter what comes our way, that our children would be discipled in the Lord, trained in the things of the Lord, and also sent out into this world to be a blessing. Do this work in us by the power of your spirit. Strengthen us, we pray, in the name of Christ. Amen.